The following is brought to you by Total Seal Piston Rings, the leader in ring seal technology. TotalSeal.com Hello and welcome to another edition of Hidden Horsepower, presented by Total Seal. My name is Joe Costello and I'm your host. And We've got another great episode for you. On this edition of Hidden Horsepower, we're going to kick it back to not that long ago, one of the premier guests from our Engine Performance Expo. And here to tell you who that guy is going to be, my co-host for this episode from Total Seal, Mr. Lake Speed Jr. Lake, I'm super excited about this one. We got all we got our curiosity up a few weeks ago, and now we're going to throw it down. Oh, yeah, I am pumped up. This Today's guest, oh, he's going to be great. There's some real history there in history i didn't even realize until last week of how closely connected me and him are even though i didn't even know that until last week scott cool so <laughs> wow and that that guest that everyone is excited about mr john callies who has had a epic career from uh, be, being a graduate as a mechanical engineer to working at General Motors in the Pontiac Motor Division, Cali's crankshafts, Morel lifters, just uh, success after success after success. Let's bring him into the show, Mr. John Callies. John, welcome. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. So we're obviously excited to have you here uh, you clearly made a huge impression last week. We had a lot of fun at the Engine Performance Expo. What about you? Oh, no. I, I mean, it was an absolute great time and uh, met, you know, a lot of new people that I hadn't met. And, uh, of course, one of the exciting things was uh, giving uh, Ed Pink his trophy. That was a cool deal. Really exciting. Wow, and there's a great backstory on that one too, right? Like for the the behind the yeah. scenes of the expo, they realized like, man, we got to do something big for Mister Pink. One of our best episodes, by the way, on Hidden Horsepower, uh, in terms of the people who are sharing it, they want to hear Ed Pink. And for you to step in and step up, and Lake, you guys helped the folks at Rottler create an award. Like, what an amazing experience that was! Well, oh, it super was cool. Was it? Well, the, the the amazing thing, Joe, is you know you're talking to Ed, and Ed's going on telling his story, and then completely unprompted, he starts talking about the Pontiac GTP program, and Ed's sitting there, he has no idea that John is part of the expo, sitting there listening to it, about to give him the award. So it was amazing. You couldn't have scripted it better, you know, straight out of Hollywood. <laughs> Well, straight out of a bunch of gearheads. That was cool. Yeah. Well, exactly. And and the, the I was thinking a little bit about some of the things we spoke about at your time at Pontiac. And I know we're going to talk about all of that and we're going to delve in in that your career spans beyond any one like engine builder, machinist, uh, you know, head of Pontiac Motor, you know, motorsports, like all of these things cross pollinating, like the Venn diagram of your career touches all these different things. And you've had such exposure to so many interesting characters. So let's, I guess, start at the beginning, John, what everybody wants to know. How did this happen? How did you get involved in motorsports, the love of things mechanical? What caused that? Well, it's kind of interesting. There was a, uh, you know, when I was seven years old, uh, I used to get this Carcraft magazine. It was uh, about the quarter size of a magazine. 
And when you opened it, they had all kinds of how you do things, how you weld, how you do stuff. And uh, I can uh, remember reading it and going, gosh, I want to learn how to weld. Well, my dad was a first-generation German, and dad came over uh, at seven years old to the States and then became a citizen and uh, ended up uh, being in teaching. And he worked at a vocational school uh, when I was seven. And so uh, I asked dad if, you know, he could help me get some torches. And, of course, dad goes, well, it's very nice, but you get a job. And I go, get a job? Doing what? And he said, get a paper out. So I got a paper out and uh, worked it for a year, saved $76 for my first set of uh, Victor torches. And then dad took me down uh, to night school and uh, got me with the welding guy. And that, so I got good training and that's how I got started. And then uh, from there, I think I was uh, 12 years old and got a, uh, my first uh, car, which was a 37 Ford coupe with a, a V860. And of course I was living in California and of course I went down to the midget shops and I conned them out of a two, two manifold and some <laughs> aluminum heads. And, uh, so I think that was 13 and, and built my first car. Of course, you know, 16, you had to have a driver's license to drive. But, uh, anyway, when the folks were gone, I'd take the car out and have some fun. And then my high school car was a 28, uh, Ford Roadster. They shortened up the bed on and had a, uh, Chrysler uh, V8 Hemi in it with a uh, uh, 39 Ford transmission that I about blew up every week. So I was very good at changing gears. And, uh, you know, I just always have been involved in fabrication and then fortunately uh, went on to college. And then out of college, uh, I got hired by uh, Pontiac in engineering. And, uh, and so then it took off and for the first 13, 14 years, I had worked in plants and then worked, uh, uh, got moved over to the proving grounds and uh, Bob Dorn, who was our chief engineer, decided he wanted to have a specialty, you know, somebody doing the specialty vehicles, either for magazine cars or whatever. And I got chosen to do that. And then uh, that led to the uh, Indy Pace Car Program and that led to the motorsports program. And so then I spent, uh, you know, another 12 years doing uh, motorsports, and we were doing both uh, drag racing, road racing, boat racing, anything that had a, that had a Pontiac in it, I was involved in it. And, and my job was both uh, engine, chassis, and aerodynamics. And so it was a lot of work for one guy and I had uh, two other, uh, three other people that came with me that I had working for me, worked with me on the programs, but it was a really small group. And over the tenure at uh, Pontiac, we made over uh, close to 157 new racing parts that we made available through GMPD. So it was a pretty cool deal. Wow. And, Lake, I can't help but think about, you know, 13-year-old John over there wheeling and dealing at the midget shop. 
And that is genuine passion for whatever, right? Like you're throwing yourself into a situation and you're going to, you're going to figure it out one way or another, Lake. Oh yeah. I mean, I can see that, that passion is still in John, just him talking last week, you know, telling the story. I just remember him and Warren Johnson sitting there chatting and just him and Cash chatting away about different things. And that, same passion that I can kind of see that 13-year-old John Callis because I saw it last week at the Engine Performance Expo was was there on display as well. You know, and I think that's the thing. I said, you know, you're once you're a motorhead and you're into it, you're into it. It doesn't matter how old you are. You know, it's I always get that question where I'm driving one of the hot rods around. And someone says, well, when when are you going to grow up? I said, I am growing up. I just love this stuff. Sorry. You don't like it? Don't look. Right. You know, <laughs> how I feel about it. You know. So, yeah. Oh, that's it's awesome. Great being, you know, the, the nice thing is, is, is at the house here, at the home, I've got a nice home shop. And so, uh, you know, pretty much work out in the afternoon after work and uh, come up for a couple hours in the evening and, you know, putts around and build stuff. And so, I really get enjoyment out of that. Well, you've you've come up with some major innovations over your career. We're going to speak about them, but I, I would love to timestamp your time at Pontiac, uh, like when you got that first job as a uh, mechanical engineer, just to know and think about some of the cars that were on the road at the time, like things that you were therefore touched on, worked on, uh, our audience, they're all car yeah. guys. They, I'm a Pontiac guy also. Lake was like, dude, you need to. And um, just my, you know, my dad had a 68 GTO Ram Air, and I grew up with that. <laughs> we, we, we've got a 78 Trans Am. I still have it to this day. It's got a 455 Pontiac engine. And so when did you first get there? What were some of the road cars that you worked on prior yeah. to? Well, it was, yeah, it was 1968. And, uh, you know, you were not I, at, the, at the time I was uh, uh, assigned on the uh, uh, working with a fellow on valve train. And uh, so that, you know, that's where I started, but the, obviously in 72, when the uh, super duty came out, that was a big boost to Pontiac when we brought out the 455 super duty. And uh, of course, then as you know, we had a, ton of fun with that and back then uh herb fischel was kind of the unrecorded performance guy and he uh and tom nell did a terrific job of you know running on the radar doing all kinds of cool stuff so you know that was fun and then decided that we should go back into nascar racing and so uh i started down and we you know, Rusty Wallace and Richard, we had five teams that we worked with. And, uh, of course, you saw at that time, everything was a, uh, you know, it was a Chevrolet small block with a Chevrolet head. But the problem was that the, the heads couldn't make 500 miles without turning into a sprinkler system. So that's when we developed the 867 head. And a fellow by the name of Mike Kennedy was the one that did the port work. He worked directly for us, and uh, we used Brodex to produce the head. 
and that was a very successful program. And, of course, then the teams uh, did all kinds of crazy things to the heads to get more power. And, and so, you know, when we first got approved with NASCAR, we had to give them a cylinder head. Well, all of a sudden, all the cylinder heads they were pulling off the cars weren't necessarily looked like the one that we had first given. And so, uh, you know, we managed to uh, escape by that. But both uh, Ford and Chevy were making modifications to their heads every week. It was just part of the program. And, of course, now with all the templates and everything that NASCAR uses, that's pretty much impossible uh, to do the stuff we did back then. But back then, you know, we read between the lines and made what you need happen. And so that was that was kind of cool. Uh, another thing that was kind of interesting, we found that there was a Pontiac Grand Prix we were running. And we found if the uh, bumper was narrowed by about an inch and a half on the width, that we could pick up a bunch of arrow. And uh, so I, I produced about uh, 300 bumpers, and we we went that direction. Never got caught. It was kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And so you know, it just I don't know. It it, it was it was fun. It, it wasn't just it was every division was working hard to get an edge, and of course now with the new system that NASCAR uses, all that stuff's out the door, and and the tolerances are way tighter, and I think it's uh, amazing what these guys have done with the cars today of all divisions. It's, it's unbelievable, you know, how fast they've made these things. And, of course, now with cutting down the horsepower with uh, what they're doing, it, it still amazes me the speeds they get. But that's that really comes from just all engineering. You know, it turned from a good old boy sport into an engineering sport. And I mean, if you look at Penske or uh, uh, Hendricks or anybody, all those guys got 25, 26 engineers on board yes. doing work every day, yeah. you know, and so that's that's changed the sport. And of course, uh, NASCAR has gotten smarter and and it's I mean, now, if you can find one horsepower, you're tickled to death. It's kind of crazy. Oh, yeah. That's where you are, you know. And and so, uh, you know, then they, I don't know, this next generation is going to be interesting with the, uh, you know, uh, independent rear and and all that stuff and the electric ads. And so, you know, the guys are going to have it tougher because now you're going to have a a chassis that you can't touch quote quote and and uh, based on what they're doing i think it's going to be that way and the whole idea is to try and get some of the costs for the owners out of uh, the car costs and you know car costs is just crazy today what it costs to run these or the engines very expensive you know so right. i think the most amazing thing to me is the guys will have an engine that they, you know, have built and dynoed and goes in the car and they go to a race and they bring it back and they'll pick up three or four horsepower at the end of 700 miles of testing and racing. And, you know, uh, certainly the, the ring program has just gone crazy of what these guys are doing and sealing of the bores and all that stuff. 
I find fascinating what they're doing. It's just unbelievable. We never, we would never think about that when I was back starting doing that stuff. So it's, it's fun where the progression's going. Lake, you know anything about that? Uh, maybe a little bit. Yeah, I may have met a, two, a guy or two along the way that had something to do with that. Um, it, it's funny, you know, listening to John tell that story. I walked over here to the corner of my office, and I'm looking at this picture, John, of my dad wearing the Nationwide Auto Parts uniform from 1985 when he drove for uh, Bushmock and uh, Dick Raheely, uh and those guys. And that was a Pontiac. And it wasn't but a couple of years later that you came out with that aluminum Pontiac cylinder head. And I, I think I told you the story last week at the expo is that I, that's one of the memories of me as a kid, you know, teenager, late speed junior, uh, Joe knows my middle name, uh, <laughs> <laughs> running around the shop. I remember the day at Lake speed Inc. When those cylinder heads arrived, it was like, Christmas Day in the shop. All the guys uh, in in the shop all came back there and they uncrated that box. I, I remember the shipping label being Mina, Arkansas, and the guys were like, "Oh wow, now that this didn't it just didn't come from Detroit. This is like super right. trick." And oh yeah, then they, then they they did all the work to them and they got them on the dyno and they ran them and they didn't leak like a sprinkler and the thing made a ton of horsepower. It's like, oh yeah, here we go. Now we're talking, <laughs> you know, it, it's great memories. Some great, great days, you know, you said. Oh yeah. Find, oh, yeah. Finding the narrower buffers, all, all those things. It was that, that was the era, like you said, that there wasn't a lot of rules and it was the good old boys and everyone was trying to figure out the next angle. What was the next thing? It was, innovation because if you were you were behind today okay no big deal just go work on it you can keep find, keep trying stuff you find something and then boom you, you can jump ahead you can get that advantage uh whatever whatever that advantage is for a while and keep working it so that, that obviously it's, it's cool for me to hear you tell those stories and that progression because uh, you know obviously as a kid i i, I hear you know we're, we're running an Oldsmobile and these Pontiac cylinder heads show up, and I'm scratching my head. Why do we have Pontiac <laughs> cylinder heads? <laughs> well, I'll you tell know, you, it was a, it was a, it was a, a cool deal, fun time, you know. And you just were working yourself to death, but you know, the whole idea was how did you progress and 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 win, and uh, and that that was a that was a fun, you know. I never forget at. Uh, uh, Charlotte, uh, Rusty was parked next to Junior, and uh, so I was in the pits, and I look over at Junior, and he's got a set of Pontiac heads on there, and I just laughed. But that was so funny. The head Chevrolet guy had Pontiacs on it. That was a cool deal. <laughs> of course. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah, so, again, question, were you still at Pontiac when Gibbs switched from Chevrolet to Pontiac uh, when they went with uh, Tony Stewart and Bobby Labonte? Uh, I left in 96. That's what Okay, I was right. Okay, a little bit after that. Yeah. Then. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, of course, that's, you know, I mean, what, what 
Gibbs and uh, Toyota have done is another marvelous uh, deal. You know, they're they really got after it, and they they're a tough group to beat, and they win a lot. So, you know, I uh, you, you know if you're all on the same page doing stuff, you got to admire the guys that come out on top. You know Absolutely. what I mean? And, you know, Absolutely. It's no different. Well, it was a big part so, of it. it. Was the Pontiac's involvement? You know, that's I, I, no. You know, when, when when they hired Tony Stewart and they had Bobby, that's when the Gibbs family, just being the competitors that they are, said, "Okay, we're we're in this. We're if we're going to do it. We're going full bore. We're, there's no second place. Obviously, the Hendricks and the Childresses of the world, and being the right. factory Pontiac team, they they went all they went all in, and that's where you know just going back to like you said the fact that." You've got short blocks that can run 1,300 race miles. You know, Doug Yates was saying that. We can go 1,300 race miles on the short block, and it's still sealed up, still doing well. well uh, the, to me, that where that really began starts back in 2000, 2001, when the Gibbs guys were with Pontiac. And right, we we've got to to win, and we got to do better. How are we going to figure this out? And they reached out to Lubrizol, and they started, you know, doing that development. They, you know, worked yeah. with Total Seal and said, okay, we're going to do these type of rings. We're going to do this kind of oil. We're going to do this type of bore finish. Now they didn't have that package at the time, but that's where it began. That that thought process in the very beginnings of oh, no, looking I, at I mean, absolutely. Yeah, well, you remember that whole process. When they went- when they went to the, all the uh, lightweight lubes, and then they finally said, "We're not going to have a qualifying car and a running car and all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff." Mm-hmm. So, you know, the the thing is, is all those things cost a lot of money. You learn a lot, but it also causes the uh, sanctioning body to kind of rein stuff in. You know, that's kind of their their program. You know, <laughs> because if you let everybody just have everything they want we'd be the cost of uh, Formula One and nobody would be in it, you know? So, right. I, you know, I got a handoff. I don't like a lot of the, the rules you hear, but overall it's, they've done a terrific job. So on that, you know, on that, my... on that point, John, and, and you know, what's happening is, and I would imagine the listeners are having this experience as well. And we encourage you guys to subscribe to Hidden Horsepower and write a review on Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends because this is great stuff. But you'll you'll touch on a subject. You and Lake will just touch on a subject, and there's 5,000 questions that go by. Like, whoa, wait a second. They were there for that, right? Like, whoa, wait. And so and so, I want to uh, dig into a couple of things you said, and you can give some short uh, answers. Like, for instance, yeah. you, you, you mentioned what's happening now, like the, the period of – uh, NASCAR engine building and, and team management when, when Rusty Wallace and Raymond Beadle and that team with the Pontiacs and that you as the manufacturer were doing things. So yeah, I ran a limited number of, uh, of bumpers that were narrower. So the manufacturer, mm-hmm. you were very involved with. I don't want to call it skirting the rules, but compliance with the rules. Like, this is the rule. All right, what? We got to get a factory to make some something to be in compliance? Do it. And you were all competing against each other. And as Pontiac, you didn't have the resources that some of the others did. No, and that's. I think that was the thing. The, the Pontiac engineering team was a small group of guys compared to Chevrolet, which had a factor of 10 more. And so... Uh, 
the guy, the group was small. They worked their tails off. And when they had extra projects to do, like this bumper thing, the guys would make it happen for me. I mean, it was killer deal. You know, I mean, it was just, it was a fun, fun, fun time to me. So are there uh, and, 300 uh, Grand Prix out there that someone is looking at it going, that bumper looks a little narrower than normal. What is up with that? <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure they've all made it to the trash pile by now. But you, yeah, there were a lot of them. So, all right. Know, you, you couldn't build two, you know, you had to build a bunch. Well, ex- exactly. Anyway. And your next uh, next comment I want to follow up on just the direction that modern NASCAR is going as an old school mechanical engineer to watch the transition from what you said, you know, a good old boys having fun, doing their best as best as they could with some help to this extreme engineering angle to what will be the future, which is, as you said, like. The sky's the limit technology-wise. They don't want you messing with the chassis. They don't want, uh, you know, wheel hubs instead of lugs. Like, there's a thousand little changes. Teams maybe will have, from what I understand, their plan is teams to have, like, four cars instead of 22. You know, that kind of deal to save money. Do, are you uh, are you on board with that strategy? Well, you know, it's really, I, I believe, all that direction was being forced from the team team owners from a cost standpoint and uh you know the thing is indycar was successful going that direction and it's a change uh you know far from me from saying it's wrong because the alternative is if the costs keep going out of control nobody can afford this sport so you know i'm, I'm happy to see it and then Obviously, you know, in the roundy track world, short track racing doesn't get all these rules and regulations, and a lot of people can still afford to go do that, just like in drag racing. You know, not many people can afford a pro stock car, but you have a ton of people in the lower classes involved and and doing neat stuff. I mean... To me, I don't care what kind of racing it is. I just enjoy it all. You know, if it's got a motor, I'm good with it. So got it. that's just the way it, where it is. And I think if you close your mind off or say, I don't like this or that's wrong, no, times change. And I, and I you know, I can remember when we wouldn't have, uh, if you started with 25 cars in a, in a cup race, and you only had 15 finish because everybody else blew up. I mean, that's when I started. It just if you finished a race and everything went well, you were a happy camper. Well, today we just expect everybody to finish. You know, we expect the engines to last, transmissions, rear axles, and all that has been developed, developed, developed. So, you know, when they get this new chassis, there'll be some things that are going to be learned and changed. But, you know, again, I'm. I'm looking forward to it. You know, I don't think it's, I don't think it's bad. I think we got to realize where we are and the costs of running, running one of these teams is extreme, you know, and sponsors this last year, you know, everybody depends on sponsors. So uh, that's gotten tougher and tougher. You know, I, did you look at the chili bowl with 350 cars showed up to qualify? That was unbelievable. You know, so I, I heard was, there was over a thousand 
for the uh, micro sprint race the week before. Right. I mean, crazy. And so, you know, of course, I was happy with, uh, you know, who won, happy with him. And, uh, and of course, I was happy with uh, Chase winning the championship. So, you know, from our product, we had a, we had a great time. And, yes. And I thought that Chili Bowl was a killer finish, and, and uh, it was a neat race. You know, <laughs> no, it's fun be- deal. It's become the uh, the start of the motorsports calendar each year, and uh, and a, a great job. Lake, dive in with a question here. We've got John for a few more minutes. I've got a, I've got one that I'm going to hit him with at the end. Uh, a story that he started with me out there at our Engine Performance Expo. I do want to remind everybody that that audio audio is going to be out there, and John goes very in depth on the. Fiero pace car project for the Indy 500. Um, we're going to use this time for all the other stories, but if you want to find that one, you can definitely find it, Lake. Uh, dive in with a question. So, John, how did you get into the crankshaft in the parts business? Obviously, you've your history, your arc of going through Pontiac and involvement in all the different levels of motorsports. So what was the impetus to make that jump from the We'll call it manufacturing of the car side to actually making engine parts. Well, I was on my uh, it. The, we didn't have a president of Pontiac. He was called a vice president, and I was on my sixth vice president of convincing him why we should be in motorsports. And uh, I was getting man this this selling job. I'm getting tired of this because. For instance, if you go to uh, Indy for the Nationals and you have people lined up down the pit side, both sides are just covered. They're in the seat that you could get. And I had one of these new guys that became vice president. I had him, excuse me, he was a sales manager for Pontiac. And I had him down there. I had him on top of the tower. And he was looking Mm -hmm. over and he goes, John, why are we here? And I go, because every ass out there drives a car. And if Pontiac does well, they're going to buy a Pontiac. And it was like he didn't even understand it. So at that point, I said, wait a minute, I got to do something else. So I, because I was so involved, I knew that crankshafts were always a shortage getting. And that's what caused me to go in the crankshaft business. Wow. Supply and demand. <laughs> yeah. an yeah. economist too, yeah. Jeff. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but but then the mechanical engineering aspect comes in, and you start thinking heavily about what's going on with the crankshaft, and made some changes that were revolutionary and now mandatory for high performance engines. Yeah, and that, and that was just part of looking at it, looking what they were doing, and uh, some of the people out there remember that they used to double drill or the, the second and fourth main, which was a disaster. So we had to tell everybody that was wrong. And then we changed uh, how the oil came out of the, the uh, connecting rods at what point. And then we did a uh, double oiling system. Just, you know, always trying to, can you do something better? Can you make it go longer? Can it work? And of course, uh, you know, there were everybody, we had real good competitors, uh, you know, in in the uh, crankshaft area, you had Crower, you had Sonny Bryant, uh, you know, so you had a lot of great people. And I never 
minded competing against people in the U.S. I thought it was great because we all had similar wages, similar things we were fighting. And, uh, and so that's great. You know, I mean, just it's how I feel. Never have problems. But when all of a sudden stuff starts coming in from overseas and they're trying to say it's the same product we have, that really isn't the truth. Now, of course, we keep training them, making it better. But, uh, yeah, that's how I, I mean, I just tried to make stuff that was, that would improve every year with the, with the uh, crank business. Very interesting. And then, uh, you know, improve the, launch and improve that business, sell that business, get involved in other people's businesses to help them. Your area of expertise is not just mechanical engineering, but business, but marketing. Like you have been exposed to so many aspects, like your career path has touched all of these different areas that you had to be successful in. And frankly, even to this day with morale lifters. Yes. I mean, I when I uh, uh, sold the uh, my portion of the crank company and went to uh, went down to help Joe Lenati at Lenati Cams and Cranks, and then ended up merchandising that to uh, to Holly, and uh, you know was out of out of work again. So then went into the Camcore business and worked that about six years, and then uh, during that time uh, hooked up with Ed Morrell and started the lifter business. So. You know, all that stuff, you've got to know where to go, how to market it, all that stuff. And I've been fortunate to uh, be able to do that. Amazing. Lake, dive in with a question. Uh, it's just amazing. I'm just, just in awe. It's just, you know, the work ethic, just seeing the passion uh, of John and then how he applies that, I couldn't agree more with it. You know, it's, it's, it's fair to have competition, you know, on your own shores where everybody's doing the same thing. Because those other parts that come from other places, they're not the same. It may look the same, but we, we both know that the material and the the quality and the, what goes into it isn't the same. And so couldn't agree with you more on that. We'd love to be American-made and buy American wherever you can because uh, that's what keeps things going. And it's that, that arc over time of, of John's involvement in motorsports and just to keep finding the next – thing to work on be it trying to make a car go faster or find the the need in the market where the market needs it has a need for camcores or they have need for improved roller lifters and keep just keep moving forward that relentless effort and passion i just i love it and respect it so uh, i can't thank john enough for him taking the time to to come on the show and, and to be involved and and to share that little bit of insight because I think that's the biggest thing is that it, that cur- that curiosity uh, that he has and that just trying to figure it out, you see it just play out over and over again, be it at Pontiac or at Cali's or at Morrell or whatever he, he sets his mind to, he's going to figure it out. Kind of like that, that car he had at the expo, didn't it? wasn't a joke. Yes. This, what is it? A Simca with the key on the back. The thing was yeah. spectacular. <laughs> Well, you know, and, and just a quick note, I kind of was thinking here, 
I was the first one to take uh, Don Perdome's funny car into the wind tunnel. Well, exactly. And I'm glad you say that because I wanted to dive in more. Snake's got a book out. He speaks very highly of Pontiac and and that era because he was down and then he came back. Talk a little bit about Snake for the drag racers. Well, Don was an absolutely phenomenal driver and uh there were two drivers that uh, i worked with as both don and butch leo in pro stock and those guys from the minute they left the line they could tell you every foot of the track what the car was doing and and what we we're going to do next i mean they weren't just you know some racer they were they were at the top of the game and don was a uh, just just a really professional super guy and uh you know his records i think still stand today that he's done and uh just just a marvelous person and he has a terrific place in southern california where he has has a shop and kind of uh, has a lot of his cars on display but uh really really a neat guy and his wife lens terrific just good people really good people now, I, I can't help but think about his return at the Gator Nationals. Um, I guess it's 87 at that point, and I, I wonder if you can weigh in. But Kenny Bernstein's got the Batmobile, right? Speaking of wind tunnels, right. where they just went extreme crazy in the, in the wind tunnel. Yep. What were you thinking seeing what they did? And you guys had done some stuff as well, and obviously Snake won the race, and so that's what matters most. But uh, that had to be extra rewarding. Yeah, well, one of the things that was fun that we found in the wind tunnel is uh, we put a, uh, a, a sheet metal piece underneath the back, underneath the car that started at the wing and radiused and came down in the back. And... Uh, that was almost worth another 200 pounds of downforce in the rear. So, you know, those small things turn out to be big things. And, and uh, you know, of course, then everybody else sees it and copy it. But, you know, <laughs> kind of fun being the first. That is that is awesome. All right. So we're on the home stretch here, Lake. Feel free to have a, a final question. John, I just want to prep you. We're going to ask you to inspire the next generation with a little bit of advice. But I, I got to finish the story that we started uh, as we were doing the Performance Expo, which was, um, you know, you've had the opportunity to work with a lot of like car guys, but also racer guys and that's that's they're not always the same it's not always the same thing someone wants to sell a product that's a car i think john delorean was there at pontiac when you first got started if i'm correct i think about bob lutz and you started to tell me the story of the front wheel drive pontiac firebird trans am and we got separated so if you don't mind like okay that almost happened and what a travesty i feel sick thinking about it well what was funny is is uh, Lutz thought that uh, going front wheel drive was the, that's the way to go. I mean, he, he truly in his heart felt that. So we were at a meeting of probably, I don't know, probably a hundred engineers. And each, we had been providing what happens if you have a front wheel drive versus a rear wheel drive or an all wheel drive car, you know, that was kind of where we were going. And, uh, and we showed them that, front-wheel drive, you can't feel the acceleration as a rear-wheel drive car. 
And that's what we are all about is somebody feeling if you stand on the gas, you feel your back go to the end of the seat and you feel this acceleration. And, uh, and that the Firebird and Camaro were built for that purpose. And uh, anyway, he uh, overruled and we had to build these front wheel drive cars. But luckily, at the last minute, they got canceled and we went back to the front engine rear drive against his wishes. But, you know, engineering didn't want it. And we finally convinced them to... Uh, the way it should go. So I think that was a fortunate thing. We really wanted an all-wheel drive car, but couldn't afford an all-wheel drive car at that time. And how, effe- and, how and how ahead of the time were you in that now you look at these uh, you know German exotics or quasi, you know, I'm talking about Audi, I'm talking about BMW, I'm talking about Mercedes. They make a lot of power, but they have all-wheel drive systems that let them get the power to the ground. I see it at the pit road drag racing we do at Homestead Miami Speedway. The all-wheel drive cars dominate the road cars because they they've got grip to think you guys were wanting that and working on that in the mid 80s that's incredible and then the the return to rear wheel drive with the Camaros and the Mustangs and people have realized now that rear wheel drive is where the fun of driving comes from oh sure and i mean you just look at the new vet it's an incredible piece of engineering i mean the guys did an absolute fabulous job on that car. And, and to me, the, I mean, the all wheel drive is, uh, is a cool deal. It's just a very expensive thing. If you say you want to produce a bunch of these things. And to me, when you look at a new Corvette, and I think, uh, with the base V8, it's 400 and something horsepower. It's, uh, you know, like 65,000 sticker. So, that that you know you got to keep that in mind that's pretty impressive and uh, certainly the uh, LT engine is one of the most economical engines to build for a factory with the horsepower and fuel economy so you know the guys have done a great a, a great job they really have i mean i'm i'm blown away i drove a new corvette here uh, about 5 months ago and it was it's impressive, you know. <laughs> wow. And they're so, just getting started you know, with that platform, too. Like, I can't wait five years oh, from now. Yeah. It's going to be crazy. Oh, and you see they have their new uh, high-performance version coming out in August uh, engine. And so uh, that'll be a killer piece, you know. But right now, where you can run, uh, you know, with a standard package, 190 miles an hour, it's Apparently that's okay for a street model. You know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Base base model base. package one ninety. Yeah. Right. Right. Lake, final question so, from you before we ask John for some advice for our next gen. Yeah, so going back to the engine performance expo and talking with Ed Pink, I actually asked Ed that night and we had a little bit of a technical issue there. And I said I said, What what was your your opinion perspective was it easier or harder to take over a program that already existed or start one from scratch and we were talking about the you know the the pontiac program he said that was actually 
he feels one of his major accomplishments because it was a turnaround deal. You know, when you came to him with that program, it wasn't how you wanted it. Uh, and he had some work to do to get it turned around. And he said that was a, he felt a major, major accomplishment because doing a turnaround was harder. So I'd love to hear your side of that story a little bit. Well, no, I mean, I went, uh, you know, Ed had a, known Ed for a long time, but he had a tremendous reputation. And uh, uh, at the time, uh, we had one person doing a bunch of our engines, and it was just an overload for his shop. And the the longevity of the parts uh, of the engine wasn't where it needed to be. And but there wasn't time at the current shop to do it. And I went to Ed and said, "Will you take it on?" And uh, Ed said, "Yes." And you know, Ed performed all the things that Ed does and uh, put the durability back in the package. And uh, you know, he did a wonderful job, did a terrific job. So it's you know a turnaround package. The one thing is. The, it wasn't that the engine didn't make good power; it was strictly a durability issue, and that's and so I think it was much easier for Ed to take over and look at what somebody else had done and said, maybe we can tweak this, do this, help here, and you know that was a that was a easier program for Ed to do than starting from base one, you know, and yeah, you're refining. Yeah, he did a great job. Exactly. And there's there's a different thing. I mean, all of us can go look at something and say, you know, I might do that a little different. Well, that's way different than saying there's nothing there. What would you do? You know, two different different processes, you know. And so, uh, you know, we had put a lot of effort uh, uh, in that uh, program uh, because it – my place in, in, in Mesa, Arizona, at our proving grounds, we designed the block, did the heads, did all the injection systems, did all the dry sump work, and actually we used the uh, Cosworth uh, pumps because it was a proven part, and I used two uh, pickup pumps on each side of the engine. So, you know, you just see other people do other stuff, and you pick the right stuff, and, and so, uh, you know, it's a fun project, you know. I got older, grayer, but it was a fun project. (laughs) All right. That's cool. At the end of each episode, we uh, we ask that we lean on our guests here on Hidden Horsepower. Uh, I like to imagine, and it has been proven true, Lake can attest to this, that there are young people out there fresh out of school or, uh, you know, they want to get involved in the engine building trade, machining trade, or this world that you talked about. Um, they love it and they want to get involved. What advice would you give to the next generation coming up to get ahead? Uh, we've heard, you know, get to a shop and start sweeping the floors and do whatever you can for free. Your uh, your body of experience is a little bit different. I am very curious to hear what would you, you would say to the next generation. Well, I think I think the thing is we saw two young men at, at the uh, up at the webinar last week that came from a technical school. Uh, to work for uh, Chris Straub, and uh, it gave me excitement that we have young people 
you know, wanting to get in the trade. And, and I think the one perfect thing, and I can't remember who said it, but the generation today is already grown up punching buttons and putting programs in. So it's a really easy thing for them to, you know, move to the new machinery today. And there isn't any part of the, of the performance area where we don't need machinists, fabricators, thinkers, drawers. I mean, it's wide open if you're interested in that. And, and I think there are people interested and I hope they listen and you just got to keep after it. You know, you're, you're going to go through several jobs. You're going to, you just got to keep your passion ahead of you and just say, I'll just work my tail off the best I can. And, uh, it'll take care of itself. We need young people, period. And there you have it. Wow, tremendous. Yeah, well said, well said. Exactly, Lake. Uh, John, thank you for joining us here on Hidden Horsepower. Really appreciate it. Obviously, there's many more layers, and I think many more shows that we could do with you, delving into specifics of races and events and things (laughs) that happen in projects. Uh, And that is what... You know your career has been so tremendous. We thank you for spending the time you did with us, and uh, I appreciate it. Another great episode of Hidden Horsepower. Thank you. Thank you, guys, both. Appreciate it. And there he goes, Mister John Callies Lake. We that was an impossible task for us. You can't you can't take a career like that and pull an hour out of it. You just can't. But I think we did pretty well. Ah, uh, yeah, it was amazing. We we could have spent a week talking to this guy. He has, you know, you said the little nuggets of the personalities, the individual races, the events. You know, we, we've got to share the uh, Fiero story as a kind of a bonus episode at some point in time, just because the, the thing about it, that's just one event, one car. And to think through his whole arc of from NASCAR to drag racing, to road racing, there's going to be tons of those little nuggets. So, yeah, I appreciate him sharing his time. Like you said, his passion, that's what came out. This guy's got a passion for just innovation and trying to make it better, and he's done that with everything he's done. So, again, can't thank him enough for taking the time to, to share with the, all the listeners uh, his wisdom and insight. Exactly. And what I would say in, in the old uh, advice for the future generation, just look at the way he has approached every task that has been come before him with creativity and everybody uses outside of the box uh, over and over again, but genuine outside of the box thinking like tackling an issue, bringing in the aftermarket in maybe where OE manufacturing couldn't do it or didn't have the time to do it or wouldn't do it and overcoming all these situations and fundamentally transforming Certain sports we're talking about, whether it be NASCAR with the cylinder heads uh, or um, the Fiero Project or aerodynamics and drag racing, like being involved in all of those things and being the guy that says, yes, we can do it and maybe not even know how. <laughs> but, yeah, we, 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 right, we, yeah, we'll exactly. do it. We can do it. Uh, and then doing it as opposed to the person who says we cannot do that. To me, that's what I take the most out of it. Well, it's seeing what like he said is, is reading between the lines. It's not saying, well, it says you can't do this. Okay, great. It says you can't do that. It didn't say I couldn't do this, 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 and this. Yeah. It's seeing what's that ability to see what's not there 
and then bringing it to life. That's the key thing. And I mean, he, he said that that's what you want to do. You need to be able to have that courage to try and, and be adventurous. And, and that's one thing we heard over and over again at the Engine Performance Expo was people said, don't be afraid to fail. Take chances. You're not going to get anywhere if you don't. Exactly. Fail forward, the marketing people say, whatever, you take that experience and and whatever is next, it will be better because of the shot that you took now. And uh, I love it. Speaking of which, we are are back. We are Hidden Horsepower. We encourage you to subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, the TotalSeal.com website. What's going on at Total Seal, Lake? Oh, man, this new year, getting everything kicked off, tons of business right now, everybody getting ready to go racing. And that's the cool thing to see is that people are ready to go racing. They're getting geared up for 2021. So, yeah, it's uh, the phones are busy. You know, a lot of parts getting made, which is great to see that uh, the level of enthusiasm and confidence for this upcoming season and getting great feedback from the podcast. I talked to a guy yesterday. He's like, oh, yeah, listen to the podcast. I want to try these. Let's do that. Let's, so it, it's cool to see it come full circle, which is what we want. Well, the whole reason for doing it, right, is we want to, you know, inspire people that yes you can do this that it's these things aren't just mystery hidden away you can make more horsepower you can make your program more reliable you can you can do both it's not an either or it's a both and in terms of performance and durability and it's great to see that feedback and see it's all starting to come together absolutely keith jones would normally say before you start your project give us a call first and have a conversation uh for those people out there who are thinking okay i'm in what should they do obviously the new website totalseal.com but you guys really enjoy those phone conversations oh yeah there's a lot you can learn obviously you can go to totalseal.com we've got the request to ring feature on there you can send in your specs and you know myself or keith or bobby or kevin we'll look at it and get back to you that's the thing it's not a computer responds to us it's one of us we all look at them and see them and respond back so that's a a great way to initiate the conversation because all the information we're going to want to know is already kind of captured in that form or you know just if you're more free form you don't have something in mind yet then yeah give us a call you know 623-587-7400. 623-587-7400. Give us a call. Tell us about what you're trying to achieve because, you know, that's the biggest thing is it's what you're trying to achieve is going to dictate what the technology is going to be. We've got all kinds of great technology from, you know, gas-ported rings to gapless rings. We've got conventional. we got total conform. we got – we can do anything from a two-and-a-half-inch bore to a five-and-a-half-inch bore. Um, you can go from steel to duckle molly. There's all these things we can do, but there's not a best technology. It's about determining what's the right technology to achieve the goals of your application. And that's where, you know, the hundred plus years of combined experience of the tech guys at Total Seal can, can help you out is it begin there. What are you trying to do? What's the mission? Now we'll help you figure out a way to achieve those objectives. And there you have it. Lake, thank you so much. Great job as usual. Thank you, Joe. We appreciate you doing this for us. He's Lake Speed Jr. I'm Joe Costello. You can follow me on Twitter at WFO Joe, WFO Radio, my other podcast, where we're talking drag racing all the time. That's going to do it for this episode. The archive is loaded. Big thanks to Mr. John Callies, Mr. Lake Speed, and we'll see you next time right here on Hidden Horsepower.
presented by Total Seal.